Hey everybody, it's Christy with the Preach Girl Podcast, and I wanted to tell you that I am posting two Preach Girl podcasts this week. I'm going to post one today, which is Thursday, and tomorrow on Friday. And the reason I'm going to do them back to back is because it's actually a message that I preached a few years back at the Potter's House Church of Denver. I preached this message, and the other day I made a little clip. I just posted a little clip about a minute and a half, and I put it on my Facebook page. And I had so much feedback around just one clip that I felt like, you know what? It's a preach girl podcast. Let me put some preaching on here. So I cut the message into two parts. One is going to come out right now today and the other one is going to come out tomorrow. So hopefully you are blessed by this. I know you will be. And thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I appreciate every single one of you. I love getting your reviews and when you're subscribing and some of you are sharing it on your social media, it means the world to me. So I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you and empowers you. And I hope that you go into your weekend feeling like you're ready to conquer the world. All right, y'all. I'll see you in a minute. Okay, saints and friends, we're going to jump right into this message. It's already in motion where we edited it. The name of the message is entitled, Look Up. And I certainly hope you're encouraged today. Go with me in your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind tonight, to Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. One verse tonight, that's all we're going to read. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. And Moses built an altar and called the name Jehovanisi. Because it's so short, I'm going to read it again. And Moses built an altar and called the name Jehovanisi. Tonight, I'd like to speak to you from the thought, look up, look up, look up. Let's pray. Awesome God, in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, we thank you so much for your presence that is already here this evening. We thank you for your word that is infallible. And Father, I thank you that you would speak through these lips of clay tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. You all may be seated. So we read Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, but we're going to go back a little bit in, in Exodus and, and go through the story a little bit to get to where we'll land at 15. So um, at the beginning of Exodus chapter 17, it's a pretty relatively familiar chapter. We see Moses and the children of Israel a little over a month into what will be their 40-year journey through the wilderness. They're about a month and a week. They're about 40, 41 days into this journey that's going to take them 40 years. And by this time, the people of God, the Israelite people, they had seen God perform miracle after miracle after miracle in a very short period of time in their midst. They had seen him do amazing things right before their very eyes. After 400 years of bondage, they saw the deliverer emerge in Moses. That would be a pretty big miracle, wouldn't you imagine? You've heard about him, you read about him, your parents sang about him, your grandparents talked about him for 400 years. And then he shows up in your generation. I would consider that a pretty big miracle. So the deliverer comes forth. They saw his rod turn into a serpent right in front of Pharaoh's face. Then he picked the rod up and it turned back into a rod again. That's a pretty amazing miracle. It's also amazing to me that when, when Moses threw the rod, it was called the rod of Moses, but after he picked it back up, it was now the rod of God. 
And how many of you know there's just a little something extra on you when, you've, when you are in the hand of God, when, when God is using you, when you've got something that you've given to God and then now you take it back up. It's just got a little bit of something extra on it. Amen? It was no longer the rod of Moses. Now it's the rod of God. And they had seen, they were eyewitnesses to the destruction, to all of the plagues that hit the Egyptian people. How many of you are glad that you were not around for any of that? I am fiercely glad that I was not around for any of that. They saw every single one of the plagues all around them, but it didn't come near them. It didn't touch God's people. They saw those, the miracle of God bringing destruction to the Egyptians with when, when Moses stretched his rod and touched the water and it turned to blood. <laughs> the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the dead livestock, the, the, the boils, the hail, the locusts, and then the darkness. They saw all of it. They were witnesses to it. And then finally, finally, the death angel comes and kills every firstborn of the Egyptians and doesn't touch them at all. They had seen major miracles in a very short period of time. They had, they had witnessed Pharaoh finally, after 400 years, set them free. This was in their generation. This was in their lifetime. It was amazing. Everything that had been written about was now happening. 400 years they had been set free. They, they, they had to walk through with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. I would think that's pretty miraculous. I am thankful for a GPS. If I had a pillar of cloud to follow, that was like God was leading them. He was also shielding them from the heat of the day. And at night, he had the fire so they wouldn't get too cold in the desert. Because he cares about everything. He cares about everything that concerns his children. They had had the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And then, and then when they were trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's advancing army, they watched Moses lift that rod, lift that staff, and the Red Sea parted long enough for all of them to get through, but then close right up and devour their enemy in front of their face. They had seen pretty significant miracles in a very short amount of time. They had, now they're on the other side and now they're walking through the desert and they'd been to a place called Myra where, where the water was bitter. It was acidic and it was not drinkable. And God, through Moses, made the bitter water sweet. They had seen in about 40 days an awful lot of God's miraculous power on their behalf. But now we catch up to them. Now we catch up to the children of Israel. Now we, we catch up to them as they are in Rephidim. Rephidim is a place that they got to. It's just a, I tried to look it up and find a cool name. You know how pastor will look up a, a word and give us like a really awesome name. You're like, wow, Rephidim means a place in the desert. So they're at a place in the desert. And at this point, they had been freed from bondage. Pharaoh had, Pharaoh's army had been defeated in front of their eyes. They had heating and air conditioning taken care of. God had provided the food and the water bill that was covered. And we, and we're about 40 days into the journey. And now they get to Rephidim in Exodus chapter 17, and they are thirsty. Anybody ever been thirsty? First time being thirsty, like your mouth is just like you got cotton in it or something like and you're just trying to like find a way to make spit, you know, trying to yawn or something. They were thirsty. They were so thirsty and, and, and they were thirsty and they were grumpy about being thirsty. They, they were, they, after all God had done for them, they were thirsty and they were gonna throw a temper tantrum. 
And sometimes that's how children are. That's just sometimes how it goes down. They were so thirsty that they begin to murmur and they begin to complain. The Bible says that they were so thirsty that they began to grumble. They were so thirsty that they began to lash out at their leader. They were so thirsty, they looked at Moses, who had held that rod, who had hit that water, who had done all these different things, had God had used him for their benefit, and they look at him and they say, with all of the drama of God's people, okay? They look at him and they say, did you bring us here to die? But they don't stop there, because you know when we're dramatic, we really go full on. And they said this. This is in your Bible. This is not me making it up. This is the truth. They said, did you bring us here to die? Us and our children and our livestock? And then in verse 7, they say, is the Lord with us or not? How many of y'all feel some, some attitude on that? Is the Lord with us or not? After everything they had seen in such a short period of time, is the Lord with us? What's the deal, Moses? Is he with us or not? So Moses goes to God because that's the only thing he could do. And he goes to God. He says, God, what do I do with these people? And, and God says, you know, he, they, he, Moses tells God, what am I going to do with these people? They want to stone me. Like they're so mad at him over this water situation and being thirsty that they're about to kill the leader. Like what happens if Moses dies? Like who's going to pick the rod? Right? You know what I mean? Like what are we going to do now? Is this going to get any better if we stone Moses? So Moses goes to God, what are we going to do? God, what, tell me what to do. They want to stone me. And the Lord instructs Moses to use his rod to strike a rock. And water would come out. And sure enough, Moses took that rod. He struck the rock. And water came forth and quenched their thirst. And then in verse 8, so interesting to me. Verse 7, they say, they say is, is he with us or not? And then verse 8 of Exodus 17, it says, Then came Amalek. Then came Amalek. Then came Al Amalek. After they were thirsty, came Amalek. After they were dry, came Amalek. After they were murmuring, came Amalek. After they were complaining, came Amalek. After they were lifting up their voice against their leader that God had appointed over them, then came Amalek. After they were questioning if God was even with them or not, then came Amalek. Then came Amalek and fought against the Israelites at Rephidim. And I'm not sure exactly where they came from. Like, did they just, just show up? I mean, if it's a desert, I don't know if they had a trees to hide behind. But all of a sudden, here's Amalek. And Amalek is there to fight. They are there to attack. As a matter of fact, they're so low down and dirty like an enemy, they would attack from the rear. They came from the back where they had the weaker people and the feeble people and the infirm people. Because you know that's how the enemy is. If he's going to attack you, he's going to get you in your weak spot. So... Amalek comes in and they attack. Perhaps their uncertainty about God and their anger towards their leader. Perhaps that had flown like an invisible flag above their heads saying, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. We're, we're open for attack. We've been murmuring and complaining and talking bad about our leader and, and questioning our God. We're open. Perhaps it flew a flag over them that said, we are vulnerable. Maybe it was like blood in the water. Blood in the water inviting an enemy to attack them. After all, one of the rabbinical definitions of Amalek is one who licks blood. Maybe it was like blood in the water. 
Moses called Joshua out and has him pull together men to fight. It's the first time we get to see Joshua, his first appearance for us. And, and Joshua comes out, he gathers some men, and we know the story. Moses goes up on a hill with, with his leadership team, Aaron and her. And they go up on the hill, and Joshua takes the men down to fight in the valley. And we know that it says that Moses took the rod of God, and when his hands were lifted up, there was victory for the Israelites. But like any leader, his arms would get weary, and they would come down. And as they would come down, the Amalites, Amalek would begin to defeat the Israelites. And so then, oh, he'd get those arms back up, and then Israel's winning again. And then, oh, man, this is just kind of heavy, and I'm just a person. And then his arms would go down, and, and they would begin to be defeated. And so Aaron and her, his leadership team, they come beside him. They get him in a situation where they can assist in holding up his arms and a the battle is won for Israel because of the assistance of those that helped Moses on the hill. So they win the battle. The battle has been won. Thank God, yet again, another miracle. Amen? It's another miracle. Hands up, hands down, hands up, hands down. But God was with them, and they were ensured victory. I don't know about you, but that's kind of good news for me. And the reason I say that is that even after their dryness, and after their complaining, and after their murmuring, and after they're talking bad about folks, and after they got attacked, I can still get a victory. I mean, God's grace is just sufficient, isn't it? Even when I don't have it all together, and I'm not a perfect role model, and I don't have my Christian suit on just exactly right that day, God is still extends his grace over me, and I can still get a victory. That's something to shout about, amen? We don't have to have it all together. God will extend his grace, and we can still pull out a win. Amen? This is the first battle where these people have ever fought. They've been in slavery for 400 years. They have not been, they are not men and women of war. They've been enslaved, and so this is the first time they've ever had to fight and war for their lives. But it's not the first time they were attacked. Because back when they left Egypt, Pharaoh's army went after them to attack them. Y'all remember at the Red Sea, at the, at the sea, at the Red Sea. And so there, there they are, and the Red Sea's on one side, and the army's coming on the other side, and God totally wipes out their enemy, and all they had to do was stand and watch. That was amazing. But now here we are in Amalek. Here we are now we've crossed over. Here we are at another level. Here we are expected to take a different step. Here we are, God has shown us who he is. Here he are, here we are, God has flexed his arm. Here we are, now we have some, some track record with God. Now we know that Jehovah is with us, right? Here we are, here we are, we've got, we've got a track record now. We've got this miracle after 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 miracle and now maybe we have to pick up a weapon and fight. Because see, sometimes there will be stand still and see the salvation of your God and sometimes you'll have to pick up a weapon. Sometimes God says, I, I will fight your battle. And sometimes he says, put on the full armor of God and fight the good fight of faith. They had to fight this thing. They were going to have to fight for the very first time. They were not trained. They were not military men. They had not been through the, through the, the rigors of you know, training and, and marching and all of these kind of things. They were former slaves. And here they are, fight or flight, baby. All you can do is fight. And they had to fight. The Bible doesn't record this. But many, commentary, many, many commentators, they agree that um, they were fighting here in Exodus chapter 17 with weapons. But where did these weapons come from? Because if you come from 400 years of slavery, you probably don't have great weapons at your disposal. It is highly um, thought that when they left Egypt, they did not leave with any weapons. Can you imagine Pharaoh letting them take weapons? 
So it is, it is highly thought that they didn't leave with weapons, but they had weapons in Exodus chapter 17. And it is that thought that after God had closed the Red Sea upon Pharaoh's army, that perhaps the, armies, the, the, uh, the Egyptian army's weapons were washed up on the shore. The very weapons that had intimidated them, the very weapons that had afflicted them, the very weapons that had held them captive were now being used in their hands to defeat Amalek. How about maybe the same weapons that have been used to intimidate you, the same weapons that have been used to hold you captive, the same weapons that have been used to hold you down in defeat, will be the very same weapons that God puts in your hands and will yield a victory for you. Because what the enemy meant to hurt you with, God will use for your good. Somebody better shout. Hallelujah. Woo. Can you imagine seeing those ex-slaves holding those Egyptians' um, weapons ripping up on the Amalek? I mean, my goodness gracious sakes alive, that's a pretty awesome thought. Goodness gracious sakes alive, I sound like my grandma. <laughs> Afflicted, and now they're using it for their, for their victory. Maybe what the enemy has tried to attack you with in the depths of your, in the secret places, in the dark places, in the quiet places, will be the very same thing that you turn around. See, what, what the enemy wants to use to crush you, God wants you to use as a stepping stone to step on top of and shout the victory. Israel defeated Amalek. After much back and forth, there was a triumph. God tells Moses, he tells Moses to to write this down. And it's so funny because when I was reading it, it's the first time ever in scripture that we see God tell anybody to write anything. It's the first time that God instructs one of his people, write this down. And he says, write this down and put it in a book. In other words, this ain't sticky note information. You want this in a, rec in a record. We want to keep a hold of this. Put this in a book. Write this down, Moses. And he tells Moses, you write this down, and then you tell Joshua. One of the translations says, plant it in Joshua's ear. He says, plant it in Joshua's ear. And this is what God wanted them to write. He, God, would utterly destroy Amalek. I think it's amazing that God wanted that written down. Like, don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. We're going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe them out. And you tell Joshua because Joshua's going to face them again. So plant it deep down inside of him right now so that when he sees them again, he has the promise of the word of God that says he's going to take them out for me. <laughs> Write it down and tell Joshua. So Moses did it. He wrote it down. He told Joshua. <laughs> because when you mess with the children of God, <laughs> when you mess with the apple of God's eye, when you jack with the lamb's children, there will be vengeance. And vengeance belongs to God, but you might want to tweet to your haters, you better look out. You better look out. You can't mess with God's people and God not get involved. You cannot, God was so mad at them, he said, how dare they raise their hand against my children? How dare they? You write it down. You, you know, it's like, like, you better mark my words, little girl. My dad would say, you better mark my words. That's what God would say. You better mark my words, Moses. I will wipe them out. I will wipe them out. And so he writes it down. And the very next thing I think is awesome, that um, Moses builds an altar. Moses builds an altar. God didn't tell him to build an altar. God didn't tell him to bring a sacrifice. God didn't say, hey, oh, you know, when a victory is won, it's time to worship me. He didn't have to do all that. 
<laughs> Moses was like, this is the only right, sane thing to do. When God takes a bunch of ex-slaves with no training, when God takes a bunch of ex-slaves with no, no weapons of war, when God takes a bunch of ex-slaves that are used to being on the beating end and not used, used to being on the winning end, when God takes a bunch of people that are not trained for something and whips up on a fighting man, that is a, that is a reason to build an altar, bring a sacrifice and worship. So Moses builds this altar. He builds the altar and, um, and he calls it Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord himself is my banner. Woo! My goodness gracious. Jehovah Nisi. It's one of the compound names of God. And, and God reveals himself to us as Jehovah early on. But every time we see a compound name of God, it is God showing us another one of his attributes. Showing us another side of his character. See, 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 in Genesis, he showed himself as Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Don't you love that right off the back? In Genesis, he's going to tell you, I'm the provider. And then in Exodus chapter 15, he shows himself as Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Because sometimes it happens that way. Once we get a provider, we're also going to need a healer. And I can wrap my mind around that. But then the very third time we see a compound name of God is right here in Exodus 17. And he says, I am Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, your banner. Now, I don't know about y'all. Y'all may be way deeper and more spiritual than I am. But when I was learning about compound names of God, I wasn't too impressed with a banner. I was like, I can get a provider. I can get a healer. I can understand I need peace. Shalom. Yes, thank you, Jesus. I understand that I need a shepherd. I understand that I need a, a deliverer, but a banner? What's the big deal about a banner? Jehovah Nisi, I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's my fortress and he's my fighter and he's my healer and he's all these strong things about God, but he's a banner? Hey guys, thanks again so much for listening to this week's episode of Preach Girl. I got another one coming at you tomorrow so you can hear the full message. But listen, before I go, I want to just invite you to be a part of the Preach Girl eight week course. Listen, I designed a course that's just for women. And when I first designed it, I thought this is for women who want to preach. But what I'm learning is it's for any woman. It's for any woman who wants to learn how to study the Bible for all it's worth to put together your thoughts and maybe create an outline. If you are a preacher or a teacher or a small group leader, this is a perfect opportunity for you to get in there and, and really learn how to dig out a message, organize the structure, and to deliver it with power. We just finished cycle two of Preach Girl and one of the gals sent me a testimonial. So I just wanted to read it to you real quick. Justine wrote, it was such a blessing to be part of Preach Girl and to hear Pastor Christie teach. I prayed that God would send a female mentor to teach me, and he sent me Preach Girl. Not only did Preach Girl give me the tools and the confidence I needed, but Preach Girl gave me a sisterhood. Every class was unbelievable. I have notes everywhere, and it's by far been the greatest investment that I've ever made in myself. You have no idea what reviews like that and what, what just testimonials like that mean to me. So I want to encourage you, if you've thought about Preach Girl, the course, not the podcast, the eight-week course, I want to invite you to go and check it out at preachgirl.org. And listen, because you're one of my podcast listeners, I want to give you a special code to get $20 off your registration. 
when you register for Preach Girl, put in the code PREACH20 and $20 will come off of your registration. I hope to have you in class. We start the next one next week, y'all, March 5th. So head on over to PreachGirl.org and check it out. I'd love, love to have you in the class.